coming home to your story and owning your story, warts and all, and no longer being afraid of what people think brings the ultimate freedom that I think we all crave for, which is acceptance. In this interview, I'm joined by Mark LaRust. Mark is an author, the host of the Unconventionalist podcast, and a TEDx speaker with over a million views. His most recent book, Glow in the Dark, provides a masterclass in the art of storytelling and how you can leverage it to improve almost any area of your life. In this conversation, you'll learn why stories play such a central role in human life, the psychological benefits of getting clear on your own story and sharing it with others, Mark's simple framework for telling captivating stories, and more. You can learn more about Mark's work at marklarus.com and get a copy of the book at glowinthedarkbook.com. Mark, to get started, could you just tell us a bit about your background and maybe this, so this podcast interview is going to be about stories. So maybe tell us a bit about your story, just a brief, brief introduction. <laughs> How many hours have you got? Um, yeah, I, I guess the, the, the short version is that I was born and raised in France in a dual heritage background. So my mom's British, my dad's French. So we spoke a different language at home that we did um, most of the time in the outside world. Um, which gave me an interesting kind of experience in juggling those two cultures. Um, and I was I was born and raised in France uh, in the 80s and 90s, which still probably to, up to this day, up to a certain point, still the same, but back then was very much an archaic educational system. Um, so I wasn't formally diagnosed as dyslexic back then, but so I'm I'm a proud dyslexic thinker. And, uh, and back then that was seen a little bit as a hindrance because I couldn't, spell i couldn't read out loud properly i couldn't do maths so i kept on getting picked on and teased and bullied by my not my peers but my school teachers which is just a bit weird you know especially i know that you're in psychology and stuff like that's so talk about like child wounds and going back to that moment in time of being in that classroom and just being shouted at and humiliated in a very public fashion and and look i just i just loved um being on stage that was it was like this weird thing like i, I hated school in fact, I hated school so much that this is a true story. I, I faked having an appendicitis so that I could be away for a week. Um, I, think I, forgot, I don't know if I mentioned that in the book. I think I might have forgotten, actually. But yeah, so I went in the hospital. I pretended like I was having pains there. And they're like, we're going to have to operate. I was like, yes. You know, I mean, who who would rather get cut open than go to school? So that tells you a lot about how I felt about, about that system. And then I was eventually held back a year which came with a lot of stigma and shame because in France that's kind of seen as a sign as like, you're just stupid or so it was tough. And like all my friends moved on. I I, I kind of held back a year, which was pointless because I didn't get any better grades that second year. It was just sucked just as much. And then eventually I was kicked out of conventional education system when I was 16, 17, changed school. It was really dramatic um, at first because I, I really wanted to continue with all my rest of my friends and if you can hear some background noise, as my kids running running down the stairs. So apologies, listeners, but it gives you a bit of the ambiance of the story. Um, and uh, and ended up in the school with some of my classmates, some of them much older than me. And it was like a bit like this rough kind of specialized school, not like in specialized in terms of education, but because a lot of people would be kicked out of different school systems. And friends of mine were like drug dealers or used to like rob houses and kind of all sorts of stuff. And and I actually learned there and then that when I took the time to hear their stories and ask them about like, why were they doing what they're doing? There was actually often a, a reason that shaped their behavior, whether that's, you know, they'd been neglected as youth or, you know, the dads had kind of disappeared or their mums were going through mental health crisis that they couldn't let the social services know, otherwise they'd be taken away. So they had to kind of get money to be able to support the family. Like it was just really interesting for me to kind of go, oh, there's actually a, a, another side to the story that we see. Well, that we tell ourselves. So that was like the background environment. I ended up going to university and doing business and, you know, all the rest is, is kind of history. But um, one element that I think, especially that we're going to be talking about stories today, is that I think might matter is because I was born up in this dual heritage, I'd spend most of my holidays either in, in England um, or, or in France in the South to go and visit my grandparents. And my French grandparents in particular were both involved in the Second World War. My grandfather was captured at Dunkirk. My grandmother, who was, I think, 13 or 14 at the time, used to pass on messages to the resistance. And my great-grandfather, Pierre La Renaudie, um, 
was like a war hero. He was kind of like one of the leaders of the resistance and he got captured, went to Germany, a bunch of camps, eventually got like the highest recognition of a civilian from the present Charles de Gaulle at the time called La Légion d'Honneur. But they used to tell us these incredible stories, right? Of like war stories. I used to sit around the table as a kid, just listening to them being fascinating to hear about what they did. And that's been like, I think an ongoing trait that I've always really enjoyed, just getting curious. Because I think when, you, when you're a dyslexic thinker, you kind of, you have to approach things differently. And I didn't really necessarily remember facts and stats and all this kind of boring stuff. But if you told me a story like in history, like I could still remember them today, right? Like I just, I just learned that way. So I used to have to, wrap up things I needed to learn through stories that really helped me to, to understand things. And, um, and yeah, and then I, you know, I did, I did the typical thing. I graduated. I thought I got my dream job. I went to work for a corporate media company, sales company and traveled around the world. And it wasn't really allowing my values. That was my first book I wrote called it's not you, it's me, which was a book about how I ended up realizing that I was in the wrong job and, um, having to reset, hit the, the reset button and go back to scratch, which was really difficult. Um, ended up working at the Movember Foundation uh, where I raised 2.8 uh, million euros for men's health, my team and I, and um, won a bunch of awards and that was really cool. And then I had the stupid idea of starting my own business, <laughs> thinking that it would be, you know, the best thing since sliced bread and easy peasy, lemon squeezy. And it was really tough. It was really hard. And I think that experience led me to give my TEDx talk what most people you know what they what what they don't tell you about entrepreneurship. I think that's what the title is, which is I wanted to paint a different story of another reality of starting a business that you might relate to or related to at some point in your journey. Which is it's not all easy. It's hard. It's tough. It's lonely. It's isolating. It's frustrating. It's scary, and all these feelings that we somehow bottled up and we only portray the hey, this is amazing and it's great and isn't it sexy to be an entrepreneur and all this kind of stuff. So I wanted to rebalance that conversation but i also wanted to talk about why i think most of us want to start a business which is actually we're looking for a sense of meaning and purpose and we want to have something that drives us beyond ourselves and yeah starting a business is one way of expressing that but it's not the only way you can absolutely do that working in academia or working in a company or you know what have you it's just it's just finding that thing that gives you a sense of meaning and purpose so and today it's really weird man i you know i'm going on here so please stop me by all means but it's just What's strange is that when I was a kid and I was bullied by my school teachers and I struggled to read the books, these books were published by Hachette, which is like one of the world's biggest publishers, but in France, it's the biggest publisher. And I signed a book deal with Hachette in 2021 to publish my my first real published book. So it's like full circle. It is, it, you know, there's a video I can share it with you. From, I don't know if you do show notes, but I'll share it with you so you can put it in the show notes. But I, I recorded me discovering my book for the first time and I had this huge emotional reaction just like really took me by surprise came out of nowhere just remembered being a kid reading these books and now my book that I think is is both practical but healing you know that's what I really love about my book obviously I'd say that because it's my book but I, I really think I wanted to do this bridge between a book that could be practical but also like meaningful and deep you know not just kind of surface level um, that it bears the same logo than those books I used to struggle reading when I was a kid. So it's it's a, it's a nice full circle story. And now I I give talks primarily. That's what I do. I get I go into organizations and conferences and, and give talks about storytelling, meaning and purpose and culture. And and I help entrepreneurs and founders unpack their stories so the world pays attention and they can better connect with the audience and inspire action. Um, and I've started writing my third book. So that's kind of me in a really long nutshell. <laughs> Okay. Thanks very much, Mark. Well, a couple of things to pick up on there. Um, the word you used was uh, rebalancing the conversation around entrepreneurship. And I certainly mm. think your TEDx talk, talk does that. So anybody that is mm. entrepreneurially minded and hasn't yet taken the leap, I would definitely recommend checking out that talk. It's fantastic. Um, the central theme in your new book, Glow in the Dark, seems to be around healing, which, you know, this is mm. something you mentioned in the last chapter. And I'm just curious, mm. you know, how and why do stories help us heal as as people? Yeah, and I want to acknowledge you for actually having read the book. You know, I've been doing a lot of podcast interviews, and you can tell the difference between someone who's read the book and someone who hasn't in that way. And you and I think you picked it up really nicely. That yeah, the, the Trojan horse on my book was was healing. And actually, one of my friends, Emily Gindelsberg, the author of um, Please Help Me, Love Me, um, she's the one who said, "Stop making that your Trojan horse and make that your central promise of the book." Just just 
go all in because it's needed. I I think for me, like coming home to your story and owning your story, warts and all, and 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 no longer being afraid of what people think brings the ultimate freedom that I think we all crave for, which is acceptance. So what I've come to learn through my own journey, through the hundreds of guests I've interviewed on my podcast, The Unconventionalists, or through the research I've done for this book, is that there's a there's a way that people who own their story show up differently in the world. There's something about the energy, the kind of the groundedness, the presence, the the, the holding the space of is different. It's, different. it's weird to explain. Than, than when we're playing defense and when we're hiding behind a mask and we're afraid of revealing parts of ourselves because ultimately we're afraid that we won't be accepted, loved, or or celebrated, right? Um, and, and what I've come to find is that the more you take the time to own your story, to unpack it, to face it, and to distill the gifts and lessons, no matter how traumatizing or difficult that may sound right now, um, there's a real healing element to it. Like I've just seen it over and over and over again with CEOs and founders I've worked with who came to me because they knew they wanted to put themselves out there. They hated the idea of doing that. They felt inauthentic. They didn't want to be inauthentic. They were tired of being two people, you know, the one person at home and the one person at work. And in a weird way, they kept on saying like, you know, I want what you've got, which what they're really saying is, I, I just want to be more comfortable being myself in public. And I, I truly believe that being yourself is good for business. Um, and, and it just so happens that sharing your story has like three benefits, you know, it, it can, it can benefit the person listening to it, who needs to hear it to not feel alone, who needs to hear it to feel connected to you and your mission and your message. It can benefit your business, um, or whatever you're up to in the world, your career, because it can enable people to better understand who you are, therefore want to do more work with you or help you on, on your path. And thirdly, I think it is a healing element because I don't even remember this part. One of the hardest parts I had to write my story was the story about my mom. I don't know if you remember that. I think I share that towards the end of the book. Like it's still an emotionally charged story for me to share because when she told me, and I asked her permission to, to include this in the story, right, in the book. But when she told me that story the first time, like we were both in tears, you know, because it was like, can you imagine living your whole life being told that the reason why everything is wrong is your fault. The reason why there's all this trauma is because of you. You're like being made to believe that she should be the bearer of responsibility. She was, she wasn't her fault. She was just a child, right? She didn't decide or choose anything. And so to have my dad in the twenties, when she had never told anybody about her story and her background story, and she she finally told my dad because she's like, I'm going to live with this guy. I'm going to get married to this guy. I'm going to have to tell him because it's part of right. And when he told her, like. It is so wrong that you were told this. It is not your fault. It was like liberating for my mom, but she'd held on to this for 20 years. So how many of us walk around holding on with everything we have, with the false presumption that we can control everything and we can go to our grave, you know, safe? But I actually think that one of the saddest things is that so many of us go to our grave with our song unsung or a story untold and i'm trying to change that and i'm hoping that the book is on a mission to change that right to try and unlock the power of everyone's stories yeah it struck me as i was as i I listened to the book in audio but it struck me as i was reading it you know this is this is me maybe the defining feature of being a human being is is story um if you mm. think about how much it shapes your own your own quality of life but also mm society you know like in the book sapiens he talks about money's a yeah. story economies are a story countries Every, are a everything story. in life is a story because the stories we tell ourselves the story we tell about the world we story it's you you can't get by without still like the way you dress the way you talk the way you vote the way you buy the way you eat everything is it's 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 we it's communication it's life and 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 i hope you picked this in the book i think if healing was the underlining message, I'd say its cousin or its sister would be that we all go through this, like everyone 
his like everyone goes through this kind of experience, right? Like it's to try because my purpose is to normalize the human condition. That's kind of like one of the things that drives me into the work that I do. So I really wanted to write a book so that people could pick it up and go, I'm not alone on this struggle to kind of reconcile the parts of me that make me who I am, or how do I bring my personal self into the professional context? How do I make sure I, you know, like all these, do you remember the 10 story blockers kind of chapter that was built over years of kind of hearing people, audiences, clients kind of telling me like why they wouldn't be sharing their story or what's been getting in their way. And really, I, you know, apart from if you're a hyper-confident, slightly narcissistic individual who's like got no problem being yourself constantly since you were born, most of us grapple with stuff. Most of us have things we're ashamed of. Most of us are things that we're afraid the world to find out about us. But over and over again, what I've come to realize is that people who find a way to own those parts of themselves, who've learned to lesson from it, who aren't necessarily using it as a way to gain attention, but more importantly, to spread a message that matters, there's a real healing element that happens again. So yeah, that 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 was at least that's original intention. Time will tell if 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 it actually resulted in that. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, there's there's a distinction to make here because a lot of people in life will will go through their whole lives and they will have inherited a story or a narrative from their culture, from their family or whatever about who they are. Mm. And then that just runs like an automatic script in the background mm. and that dictates so much of their behavior. Mm -hmm. What your what your book is attempting to do is helping the people to take conscious control of their story, to own yes. it yes. and yes. not be driven by it, but be the, the conscious creator of their life, which I think is, is such an important thing to do, you know? And I, mm. I've heard, I don't know, I don't know the depths of it, but there's a lot of research into like, this is one of the most important elements in psychological health is having a a coherent narrative for your life and making sense of your mm -hmm. your life's experiences you know through stories so 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 important that. yeah well, um, I, I think it's you know again the story we tell ourselves shapes the way we act and the, the way that we see ourselves and and um you know i was raised as as a christian anglican and so i have this notion as a child of good and evil of heaven and hell of this idea of what is good and what is bad. And, you know, I haven't been back to a church since I was a kid and all this stuff, but that stays with you, this idea of the good boy complex, right? Like if I have thoughts that are not aligned with scriptures, then that means there's something wrong with me. And so think about that for a second, but you take that on a macro level, religion, culture, societal beliefs, family traditions, all these things that we can take on unconsciously that drive us. And so we may have a label that we think, oh, there's something wrong with us, broken, whatever it is. When really, I think it's what defines us as being humans, that we're all flawed. And we're all darkness and light on both are needed. But how do we normalize that conversation? And I think it's a little bit exactly what you said, kind of taking ownership. That's why, you know, my, my online coaching program for founders and CEOs is called Own Your Story. Because it's it's that it's kind of like it's time for you to to reclaim your story and get back in the driving seat so you can fulfill your potential ultimately. Hundred percent. Now, something that you mentioned in the book, which I thought was kind of interesting and maybe a bit it was very vulnerable for you to share it, um, but was whenever uh, you were, I think you had just come back from Australia and you'd you'd moved back home and you're going through a really dark period in your life and mm. you're having a conversation with your mom and she basically said, Mark, don't. Oh, yeah. Do yeah, yeah, don't yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so I came back from Peru at the time I was living in Peru with my girlfriend. We had a really bad, ugly breakup. I, so I broke up, we broke up that relationship and I quit my corporate job. I came back. My grandfather was diagnosed with terminal cancer shortly died after. And uh, it was just like a really, yeah, like a really tough, Tough time. And I, I'd been on this kind of path, right? On the outside, everything looked like it was glorious. I had, I had this really sexy job three days after I graduated where I was living and working around the world and hanging out with government officials and ministers and CEOs and all this kind of stuff. And people didn't believe it because like, my holiday was coming back home to my parents. That was my holiday because 
we used to live in, you know, South Africa, Bahrain, Kazakhstan, Peru, Cyprus, you name it. So we used to travel to a bunch of countries around over the weekend. So holiday for us was going back home. And when I tell people I was 20, 23 at the time, 24, I was, you know, people didn't believe me. They're like, what do you mean? You live like, you know. And so I came crashing down from all that experience. And I talk about that in my first book. That's very much the journey of my first book. And um and at one point, like I didn't have the words for it. Mental health wasn't something I was aware of back in 2009. Just it just wasn't like, apart from films we saw, you know, people related to drugs would go off the, you know. But there wasn't really this concept we have today of mental health, and um, well, at least not I wasn't aware of it. Let me put it that way. And I remember I'm sitting in my in the room, the same room that I grew up in as a kid, and I'm sitting there as like a young adult, and I'm like, what am I doing in my life? And, I couldn't get out of bed. I was, you know, smoking weed again. I, you know, just I was just kind of going back to being a bit of an adolescent. And eventually, I think my dad was kind of like, look, you're going to have to start getting to bed earlier and getting to bed, uh, you know, getting up earlier and start getting for a job. And, you know, just because it doesn't look healthy. And and I think I said to my mom, I was like, I was in the bedroom and I said, look, I'm not sure, but I think I'm, I think I'm depressed. I think I'm going through some form of breakdown and depression. And she looked at me and she, without even skipping a beat, just went, don't tell anybody not even Dennis. <laughs> Dennis is not my best mate, right? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, because if you say that, no one's going to want to employ you. No one will hire you. And she's read my book. So she's she's read that story since I've spoken about it. And she said she was sorry. And I told her, I said, I totally get why you said it because you were scared. And so you reacted from a place of fear, not from a place of, of understanding the impact of your words. And so when she said that, I clammed up. I was like, oh my God, I can't tell anybody. I'm going to have to suffer in silence, which is like what most people think, right? Most people think to themselves that this is not worthy of, of love or acceptance, and therefore I'm, I'm going to keep it. And, and I opened the book with that story about yeah, being at the Remember Foundation launch in France, and I'm standing in front of a room of strangers. There's a few partners, a few media and press, and a couple of potential Mobros and Mo sisters and some random dudes who walked into the bar when I was there just chatting away. And the journalist asked me during the Q&A, like, all this is great, but why? Why did you join a charity? You know, why did you want to launch in France? And uh, and I just remember going, I've got a choice to make here. I could either say the kind of veneer, you know, typical answer of, yeah, it's a good foundation. They've got a good cause. And I think it's an important issue. Or I could talk about the truth. And I remember that moment, I just like, you know, screw it. And I just said, look, I, I went through a really tough time and I talked about that, that experience. And I said, I came across November and it gave, it gave me a brush of fresh air and it gave me a sense of meaning and purpose because I was doing something worthy and I was part of a community and we had language and messages that really resonated with me and images. And and I and I wanted to, to I wanted to do that. I wanted to talk about this because when when I heard them talking about the importance of men's health, I thought, yeah, this this means something to me. And you know, she scribbled away on a notepad and I probably had a bit of vulnerability hangover in that instant going like, oh my God, what the hell did I just say that? No one's going to want to fundraise now. Everyone's going to run away. But this guy called Matt came up to me at the end and he said, um, you know, I came here to find out a bit more information. I remember if I wanted to take part, but I walk away with so much more. Um, I walk away knowing that I'm not alone. Basically that, you know, your story reflects a lot of what I went through and I haven't really heard a man talk about that publicly. Um, so thank you. And I'll take part and I'll get my mates to take part. And I just thought it's like, it was like contrary to my wiring, you know, it just, it just goes against, it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense that opening up would actually create more connection. Um, and look, it's context specific, right? I'm not saying that everybody should just go on and talk about your trauma left, right and center. You know, if that's your thing, great. But there, I think there's also a context in which you should share with parameters and boundaries and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, I think the moment I started, the moment I started opening up about the things I was most ashamed of, which is something I learned from stand-up comedians when I used to hang around with stand-up comedians in South Africa, and and was lucky enough to hang out back there with Trevor Noah and all those kind of great South African um, comedians. I learned that what made them so good was that they would talk about some of their most insecure and shameful thoughts and just put it on the spotlight, and everybody would laugh because we could recognize ourselves in those thoughts. You know, we've all, we all thought those things. We all, you know, but we don't give ourselves permission to say out loud. So having a mirror back at you, whether it's on the form of a stand-up comedian or actually me on a stage in a corporate world or in a company at a conference, 
just gave permission, and I'll and I'll shut up on this one story. Now, this is this would this is like a again. This is like, I think I talk about this in the book, but this is like a really weird moment where very early on of my speaking career, when I think it was like one of the first talks I ever got paid to speak at. No, maybe second. Anyway, but one of the first, and um, they brought me in to talk about my first book, which is all about like how to quit your job and find work that's meaningful and all this kind of stuff, right? And I said to them, I said, you know, I wrote a book about like how to basically screw your job and go and find work that you find meaningful and purposeful and this stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, but we think you'd resonate with, a, with our people. So I give this talk about the nine steps to finding meaning and purpose at work. Some bollocks like that. I forgot what it was, right? Like it was just like this kind of like nine steps too. And um, and I get to the presentation, it's going okay. You know, nothing nothing spectacular. And we get to the Q&A and then they start asking questions about my story. And I start opening up and I start, people pop, it's like popcorn. People, like people start popping up about like, their struggles, their challenges, and like, oh my God, like we're all going through this just in silence, you know? And and Brett Brown said it best, you know, shame can't survive being spoken to. So yeah, I just I just think that we can do best with with opening up a bit about ourselves a bit more. 100%, 100%. Um, couple of things. So there's a quote from Carl Jung, it sort of really resonates with what you've said there. It's uh, what's what's most personal is most universal. So the things we're most ashamed mm. about ourselves are the things that other people have that same internal mm. thing. So if we can be open about it, people are drawn to it, you know? Mm. You have to remind me and, that I love that. And then the other thing is, uh, so uh, whenever you're telling stories now, I'm conscious of the framework that you share in the book. Now, I've always found storytelling very difficult, but whenever mm. I, I heard this framework from you, this three C's framework, mm. I thought that is so simple and so brilliant, mm. you know? So I think that's one of the most valuable insights in the book. So can yeah. we take us through take us through the three C's? Yeah. Um, so you know, I'm I love storytelling. I've loved storytelling my entire life. You know, and I've geeked out a little bit on storytelling. I've kind of you know the classics, the Joseph Campbells, and um, you know, and I, and I think there's a lot of greatness in all those kind of tools and resources in the story brand by Donald Miller. It's a great great tool, but a lot of them had like twelve, seven, nine, you know, steps. Or, or or frameworks and stuff. And I just thought for busy entrepreneurs and founders and leaders, sometimes you're on the fly and you've got to take a story and you've got to put it through a filter and you've got it on the spot, make it valuable and meaningful, which what I call an impact-driven story, right? Um, and so I just needed something really simple. And so the three-step process effectively is that you can go through, you know, if you read the book, it'll make more sense. But you know, you go through the river of life, you unpack all your life stories, you know, your ups and downs, your professionals and personal events. And then you can practice this on any kind of event, right? That's happened. You, let's say you take one that's a low, a low professional or a personal event. And and you apply the three C. Um, what you're trying to do, and, and, and I'll break them down, but what you're trying to do is you're trying to find a way of how can I take this memory or this life event and, and share it in a way that people are actually going to get something out of it not just because it's got entertaining value, but because it's actually got a message embedded in it. That's kind of like, you know, I just want to say that because you reverse engineer it. So you want the context, right? The first part is you want the context. So what's going on? Where are you? What do I need to know for my brain to not be thinking questions of like, wait, where's this? When's, when was that? What's going on? You know, like really simple, right? So it's 2009. I'm sitting on the edge of my bed. I've got my hands in my head, my head in my hands, and I'm thinking, how did I get here? I'm at my parents' house. I'm 26 years old. Just last week, I was having cocktails with the minister of Peru, whatever, right? So I've just given you a really quick, I'm just making this up now, but that, that's context, right? Then you go into content. Content is like, what's the emotional charge that you're trying to say? And this is where I go, you know, uh, it seemed like I had it all, the girlfriend, the job, all this stuff, but then it all came crashing down. And for the past, few weeks, I haven't been able to get out of bed, let alone meet anybody for social activities. But this isn't, I've always, I wouldn't always been like this. So I know that something must be wrong, right? And then you, then I would tell the story about how and my mom walks in, and you know, I, I, I try to explain to her, she tells me, don't tell anybody, not even your friend. So that's like the content. But I could, so I could stop it there. And it's just a nice story. But then you've got to go into the conclusion. So what's the, what's the point of the story? And I could, what I love about it, I don't know if you picked this up from my book, but what I love about this process is that you can actually have multiple conclusions to the same story, depending on which context you're in, depending on what audience you're speaking to, depending on what message you want to land. Okay. So if I'm speaking to parents, 
I'm just gonna I'm just going on the fly here. If I'm talking to parents for whatever reason, well, actually leaders, actually let's say that, let's give this more context. So say I was talking about leadership, right? In a, in a leadership context, and I share this story for whatever reason. The conclusion would be to say that sometimes our need to protect our team gets in the way of having the impact we want. Right? My mom wanted to protect me. That's why she said those words. But instead of making me feel protected, it made me feel shameful. Mm. And so we've got to understand that words have weight. And the words that we use should be intentional. Right? Like, I see that. So I just did that kind of three C's live, right? Just to kind of give you a quick example. But the point is that just have a structure. So now, you know, I get into it on podcasts quite a lot at the moment. I love it, right? I get asked a story and I'm making up all these kinds, but it's because it's just a really clear framework. It's like, give me the context, give me the content, give me the conclusion. And that's it. If you can hit those three things, you're going to, you know, you and you can extend that, right? I could, I could tell a 20-minute version of that story. You can tell a 30-second version of that story. But the point is to make sure that you know I mean, I because I've been doing it for a while, I can do it on the fly pretty easily. Um, but I have seen clients really kind of come back to me and go, that framework is a game changer because it just makes it really simple. It, it, it kind of gets rid of all the bells and whistles and it just makes it really clear and simple. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad you picked that up and I'm glad you found that helpful. A hundred percent. And so that is sort of embedded within uh, within a larger framework as well which is also very simple too, but this whole idea of sourcing, shaping, and sharing too. Yeah. So for someone listening to this um, that maybe yeah. wants to, you know, for me, until I act actively did some, some uh, work around this, like I didn't think I had any sort of story to tell or whatever, but whenever, whenever you start digging, you know, you can really find some interesting stuff from your past that have had big impacts on your, on your yeah. life throughout. So yeah. in terms of, um, sourcing sourcing stories. What do you recommend there? And you've got some great exercises here yeah. too. Which... Yeah. So, I mean, if you're listening to this and you're even like story curious, right? Um, so there's three parts of the framework of the book and also my program, which is source, shape, and share. Effectively, again, I just I just like threes because, again, I, I'm lazy. So it just it speaks to me. So the first part I would do with any client, whether that's, you know, when I used to do one-to-one -one or whether it's my group coaching program, it's, you just got to map it all out. So you've got to take some moment. This this can take a little bit of time. It doesn't have to be done in one sitting, but you've got to go across and map out your entire life, what I, what I call you know your river of life in the book. That's your highs and your lows, your ups and your downs, your failures and your wins of both personal and professional, no matter how irrelevant you think they might be. That's really important. You cannot judge this part of the person. I really make an emphasis in that in the book around this chapter. So you just map it all out. And I use the metaphor of Lego, right? In, in the book around my nephew and my brother and I, you used to play with these Legos and it's a big bag of orphan Legos. I can't, for better words, it's just like random pieces that were never meant to be together, but they've just been jumbled together. And then we try and create these kind of structures as kids. And then my nephew was doing it, my niece was doing it. And it made me realize like, oh, that's like our stories. We have all these pieces of Legos, all these stories, but if you left them unintended, uh, they'd look like a mess, but actually start picking these together, put that and that, that, and it starts having some structure and you can rebuild different shapes and forms depending on what you're trying to trying to do, right? Um, and then you go into the shape, which we talked about. That's the three, you know, the three C framework. And um, and then you share, and then you basically practice, you put it out there and you start getting some feedback and getting better. And eventually you become a master storyteller, um, you know, just because you, you've taken the time to unpack to, to structure and, and and to share your story in a, in a, in a meaningful way. Interesting. Now, could you maybe expand a little bit about, about this concept of the the river of life and how someone might actually do that? You know, what, what does that, what does that process involve? What are your best so there's practices? There's, yeah, there's, there's different ways to do it. Again, I, I, I dive into the book about something like, but like the, the quick version of it is, you want to carve out some time, enough time where you're uninterrupted, right? So things like phone off, your kids are going to run in, if you've got kids or pets or whatever. Um, I like old school, so I like paper, but when you buy the book, you get a link to 
a resource that you can download and fill out. Um, but otherwise you can, you know, you can make, you try, try and make up your own and you just break down. This is why I would recommend people just break down your, your life in decades or, or in stages of life, if you find that easier. So when you're a kid and then when you're an adolescent, you know, young adult, student, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then you just go through it and, you know, whether you, whether you start off like just your personal or just your professional or both and you revisit it. It's like an open book, basically, that you can keep adding. And what I love about this exercise is that things will come and visit you, you know, in your dreams or in the day, like, oh, man, I forgot about that. And you write it down. You've got to find a way to capture it down immediately because it vanishes and disappears. You forget about it. Um, that's how you map out effectively your your story of life and have a bunch of stories that may or may not be relevant. But you you don't know that until you get to the last stage, which is around like how to supercharge your story formula around like, how do I understand what my, my con, you know, the context, the audience, the message and the platform. Very cool. And something else that I thought was extremely powerful was this idea of a time machine. So if you get a time machine. Oh, yeah. And... yeah. Yeah. That, that I, I came up with that exercise because some clients access memories differently, you know, like some people are visual, some people are not visual. Some, so so this one, I think, is like a really easy one. Like if you just, you know, if you just want to get a quick win today listening to this. Think about a moment in your life, maybe two or three, but if it's too difficult, just go for one. If you could hop in a time machine, go back and give you a piece of advice, what would that moment be and why? Mm-hmm. And it and look, you know, if you ask me, there's two events that come to mind, right? The first one that just comes to mind would be going back to my younger self as a six-year-old sitting in that room being traumatized and bullied by school teachers to kneel down and to say, look, I know that it feels like nobody's in your corner. And I know that it feels like there's no responsible adults taking care of you right now or paying attention to what you're doing, but don't worry. It's, it's this person screaming at you is actually the person who's broken and has got pain inside. You're going to do great. Like you're going to go off and do these amazing things. You're going to meet, you know, the love of your life. You're going to have kids and you're going to go for ups and downs, but this is not, your end and be all like you will you will have you will use all of this as fuel to go and hopefully inspire millions of others and all this stuff and one day you'll look back with with gratitude at this moment and you will have compassion for the adult who was shouting at you because they were just a wounded child walking around in the in the uniform and and the uh, fancy dress as of, of a teacher um that'd be like one like a, like a hug basically but also like reassurance and number two would be it would be a November two thousand and eleven, twenty seventh of November two thousand eleven. I would go back to the French MMA amateur Bugai tournament, which I entered with two weeks training of fighting, no previous fighting experience whatsoever, for charity for November because I thought it'd be really funny to go in there with a moustache and try and like do like these tournament fights, and uh, I would one hundred percent tell myself. After my first fight, which I lost by points, which I was very proud of, you're done. You're done. They're going to call your name, and you're going to go up to them and say, "I'm I'm out. Sorry, white flag. I'm forfeiting." And you're going to walk away from that instead of letting my ego get in the way. And then I busted my right knee in a leg lock that got completely screwed, and I still have issues to this day. Right, 2023. Um, so those those would probably be. Yeah, the two the two moments I could go back, but again, that's just an example, right? Like, you, you, if you, you've got to ask yourself, what would be those moments? It doesn't have to be moments like that, but you'll find them yourself if you think about it for sure. Hundred um, percent. So, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there's there's a very sort of uh, there's a therapy that's sort of growing worldwide now called internal family systems therapy. Ah, and- is that constellation work? No, no, I think it's a different, I don't, I don't know what constellation work is, but this, okay. this thing, it's shortened to IFS. Okay. But one of the kind of key concepts is, is that whenever, whenever you're a kid, you take on like things can happen that sort of, that really wound you as a child. Mm. And then we sort of, we lock these parts of ourselves away, you know, like, uh, we just sort of like, like if you were, I don't know, let's say that you were, um, 
really expressive as a kid, like you were really, you know, artistic or whatever. And then you came home and showed your parents something. And then your, your parents were like, that's terrible or whatever. And then you would lock mm. that part. You'd hide that part of yourself away. Mm. And what's happening is basically. And you internalize that. I am terrible. Exactly. Exactly. So you're carrying that for most of your adult life. And mm -hmm. in the therapy, these are called exiles. So your exercise here is a time machine. It's essentially a way to sort of talk directly to those exiles and mm. help them be seen and be be heard. And it's the first step, I think, towards actually healing. So mm. I, I just think that it was such a good example of that in your book. You know, I'm explaining it really badly, but that was the sort I of... I love um, it. Yeah, I didn't even know there was like a whole psychology behind it. I just, I just thought it was like an easy access point for people to go, oh yeah, I can remember that point. I can't think of like 200 different life events, but I can remember two or three things in my life that I would definitely go and tell me a message like, don't be so hard on yourself, you know, like all, all, all those kind of messages, which I think can be quite helpful. Now, curious here, um, maybe something comes to mind here or not, I don't know, but uh, can you think of the moment in your life when you took agency over your own story or a time in your life whenever that started happening for you, you sort of thought, you know, I'm actually creating this. I am the I am the narrator here. I'm the author of this, and I can actually take conscious control. Because whenever I, you know, whenever we, we met in person, that's something I I I I kind of got that energy from you. You were very self led, like you were very conscious. Mm. You were very mm. you had a very real energy about you. And I'm just curious, you know, where does that mm. come from? Uh, man, if, if I had the answer, I think I'd be a very rich man. But it's a uh... Look, I think it's a combination of things. I think I really am grateful for, in a way, for my trauma as a child. And even though it's been really difficult to unpack that, you know, I went through therapy for, you know, for a bunch of years. When I knew I was become a dad, I decided to go to therapy to try and unload a bunch of my baggage that I inherited from my parents and stuff, my stuff. So I did pass on to my kids as much as I could. And that journey really helped me understand a bit better my trauma you know little t and all that kind of stuff so i think this is not a sexy answer but doing 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 the work doing the work right which is when it comes down to kind of shining a light on on my blind spots and understanding like i've got a lot of work that i'm still trying to get better you know at um but i would say having a commitment to do the work and there's a bunch of programs I did and coaching and all this kind of stuff, books I've read, talks I've blah, 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 all this stuff. But I think it it's a combination of, I think when you go through some sort of stuff, no matter how small or big it is, I think you have an ability to connect with people with a, with a bit more empathy at times, right? Because you understand that we're all walking with wounds and trauma and all this kind of stuff. So I became a little bit less judgmental. The other thing is, I remember, and I don't know when this started. Do you know what? This is this is really weird. I don't think I ever talked about this because I, I, I don't know if this is it. So you're making me think about something. But I remember watching Californication with David Duchovny. And if you've seen that series, it's like a, it's like he's a bit like a playboy kind of author and he's got like a Porsche and he has sex with all these women and all this stuff. And I remember... I remember in the series, I never, I've never actually thought about this. I'm just unpacking this right now. But I remember in the series, he's like kind of like this, you know, he's kind of like a bit of a fun character. He's like a bit of a useless dad, but he gets a lot of girls. He's kind of creative. He's got an agent. So he's a bit of a mess. But he's really honest. He's really honest in the series of like the girls that he's with. Like he'll tell them, you know that he's not interested in anything more than just a casual relation. Like he's very straightforward. I remember going, oh, he's being honest and there's a, and there's, and there's no backfire. And I remember at the time, I think I was dating a girl. Maybe I was even dating a couple of girls. And I just told him, I was like, just so you know, I'm not interested in anything more than just casual relationship. I'm not in the right place right now. If that's not okay with you, then totally get in. Let's walk away. And to my biggest surprise, they weren't repelled by it. They might have been annoyed by it, but they respected my honesty. Mm. And I think that's when I kind of realized, like, oh, this is weird. Like, when you're honest, there's actually a level of, of connection and truth that comes. It's, I, 
I never thought about it until now, but I think that's when it kind of started. And then, you know, I, I experienced like, like a, I had a life coach, Roya Ferdos, who helped me for a few years. She was amazing. And she gave me a space for me to express my desires, my dreams, my fears, my deceptions in a way that was very non-judgmental. And so I realized that when you create a space for people not to be judged, really great things can happen. And that's when I wanted to become a life coach. So I trained with the Corrective Training Institute, which is the you know the world's largest in-person training institute, which I think is one of the best. I trained with them. That was life-changing. It really, really was. It was kind of like, you just discovered a bunch of your patterns and that there's a different way of being. It's like the philosophy of co-activity. It's like the doing and the being. It sounds all wishy-washy now, but it, it really is this kind of idea of, um, how do we get conscious about what drives us? How do we understand what our values are? How do we make sure we live more aligned with our word, with our values? And, and that becomes a kind of almost like a pursuit that you kind of go on this quest to try and become a bit more like, man, I've got loads of flaws and I've got loads of issues and I've got lots of things I'm battling with and wrestling with. But I would say one thing I'm really proud of and I celebrate is that, and hopefully you, maybe you can testify to this, but I'm the same person, whether you see me in person, you see me on stage, you see me on a podcast, you read my book. It's like this, I'm, I'm the same guy. I don't feel like there's a persona. Sure, like if I'm on stage, I'll be a bit more animated. If I'm like, you know, doing a video like, hey guys, you know, welcome, you know. I might be a little bit more animated, but I'm still, still me. And I think in a weird way, I think that's what a lot of people crave. Not to be me, but to be themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, on a related note, actually, so there you talk about the audience of one in your mm -hmm. in your book as well. I think that that that's such a powerful tool for anybody doing any kind of communication. You know, just yes. think of the one person you really want to reach and speak to them as opposed to the crowd. Um, that's how I wrote the book. That's and that's for years, and that's how I wrote my newsletter. But that's how I wrote my book. Donna, she's still there. She's, I've got a picture of her on my desk. So anytime I do any of this kind of work, I always remember of Donna and how Donna was the first time I met her and where she is now. And like, yeah, the audience of one is, I think is a game changer. hundred percent, hundred percent. So just wrapping up here, Mark, before, before you end, uh, if anybody at home is sort of sitting, listening to this and they're, they're sort of thinking, you know, I can see the value in this, but I'm, you know, what do I actually do to move forward? You know, what are what are some practical first things they can do? Obviously, we recommend get the book, Glow in the Dark. It's just out. It's just out get there. The Glowinthedarkbook.com. Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll kind of slightly change my answer to your question, but hopefully it will actually answer it. And I would say that over the years, I've been fortunate enough to hear a lot of people's excuses or a lot of people's fears or a lot of people's challenges or blockers getting in the way of sharing their story. And, and, it, and, and just going to say, it, it can come in many shapes and forms and it can camouflage itself as like reasoning, procrastination, like you name it, right? It comes in, it's very creative in, in the way that it shows up resistance. Um, one of the number one thing I would say that most people struggle with is this idea that why would anybody care about my story? I don't have a Hollywood story. I didn't go through some specific trauma. I had a pretty decent childhood. But I think you, you, alluded to it when you said when you start scratching the surface and you start digging you'll start finding yeah i think a lot of us kind of forget the gems. the second thing is i talk about in the book is this concept of um proximity bias mm. which means that you're too close to it to see the value of it um you know i use i use this example in the book, and I use it a lot in my conversation podcast to, to, to kind of land the point, but it's this idea that, like, if I ask you, like, what's your favorite film? I have one. The first one thing of, that came to mind was Braveheart. <laughs> yeah, Braveheart. Cool. So do you remember the first time you saw it? Yes, yes. Do you remember how it made you feel? Like, what did you like about it? Why, why, why did Braveheart, like, come to mind, you think? Just very inspiring, you know? Very, mm -hmm. just, Yeah. Very inspiring, I would say. Yeah, inspiring, cool. How many times do you think you've seen Braveheart? Probably like five or six times. Five or six times. Um, and you still enjoy it? I haven't seen it in years, so. Okay. But let's say, but assume like if you saw it, it would probably be all right, right? You still enjoy it. Mm. So imagine if I told you, here's the deal. 
you're not going to have to watch it five times. You're going to have to watch it a hundred times back to back. In fact, make that a thousand times back to back. Do you think you'd still enjoy watching Braveheart? No. Yeah, pretty pretty quickly. What do you think would happen? Just get bored. You'd get bored. Oh my god! You know, that's that's the same thing with our stories. We see our stories over and over and over and over again. We've been with it for so long. We've seen it so many times that we just don't see the value of it. Whereas if someone for the first time saw Braveheart and they'd never seen Braveheart, they'd be like, oh, my days. This is so inspiring. Freedom, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's the same thing with your story. It's like you you don't see the value of it. And I, that's one of the reasons why I want to write my book because I, I would interview people on my show, right? Some people had shared the story a bunch of times. Some people had never shared their stories. And at the end of it, I was like, have you shared this before? I was like, no. I was like, why not? I was like, who cares? I'm like, someone's going to care. Like, a bunch of people are going to care. And then I get messages and DMs from people saying, like, that story really inspired me, or I bought that person's book, or I joined their program, I bought their product as a result of hearing the stories. And that's where it just clicked. I was like, oh, stories give us meaning and give us context and give us a reason why we should trust someone, like someone, or, or know someone, right? Um yeah, I mean, I don't know if that answers your question, but that I know is a bit of a round around answer, but that's what I would say. 100%. Well, that's a great note to end on, Mark. Um, where can people get the book and where can people find you online if they want to they learn more? Yeah, the best is to go to www.glowinthedarkbook.com. Um, you can order your copy from there and it'll take you for anywhere. You, 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 know, you can buy a good book. You can buy, get my book. When you buy my book, I just want to say something. I'm really excited about that. I don't know if you did it, but um, when you buy the book and you go through it very early on in the stage of the book, I talk about um, how you can go online and do an assessment. So it was really important for me because I, I read a bunch of nonfiction books and I, I, I have a tendency to kind of go through it, think it's great, put it down, jump to the next one. And I haven't really measured like how much have I actually implemented this or how much have I actually grown from reading it. So I wanted to do and change with my books. I've actually created a, a free assessment tool when you buy the book. You go through it at the very start of the journey of the book and you get a score, right? You get a benchmark based on some, a certain number of questions that I've created intentionally. And you get a score out of 100 in terms of how well are you uh, are you utilizing your story to better connect and engage your audience, right? And at the end of the book, you're invited to go back and take the same test and then you can compare your score. So my hope is that between the beginning of the book and the end of the book, you feel much more confident. You've got much more clarity. You feel much more aligned with why your story matters. And so I would love for people to take that test so they can then see their score and results um, at the end of it. So just they can get a little win, right? They don't just finish a great book. They also get a great score. So everybody feels like they're happy. So yeah, glowinthedarkbook.com. And uh, you can find me on on uh, LinkedIn is where I hang out the most, but also Instagram occasionally at, at Mark LaRousse. That's M-A-R-K-L-E-R-U-S-T-E. And if you enjoyed our conversation today, if you got anything from it, let me know, reach out. I'd love to hear what is the number one nugget you got from our conversation today. It really helps me to understand and hone in on like a particular message or a particular point that I can share in future podcasts. So thank you. Thanks a million, Mark. It's been great speaking with you. And I want to wish you all the best with the, the book promotion and everything going forward. I appreciate it. Good to see you.